It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Survivor 46 is here and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast. And we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Vyadaris, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcast. This is CLNS Radio, the home of Internet Sports Talk Radio. Hey, this is Nick Gelso, co-owner and co-founder of CLNS Radio. And today I'm joined by Ty Ray with a heartfelt message for you. Hey, Nick. Odds are you know someone who's been affected by breast cancer. My family has personally been touched. The numbers are staggering. One in eight women will develop a form of invasive breast cancer over the course of their lifetime. CLNS Radio has joined the battle against this terrible disease, but we need your help. Please open your heart and donate to Michelle's Place, an amazing organization that helps women get the emotional and educational support they need as they deal with this unrelenting disease. Michelle's Place is an incredible resource for women who have been stricken by breast cancer, who have survived breast cancer, and who have learned about prevention. We urge you to learn more about this amazing place, the amazing work they do there. It's Michelle's Place. Don't just take our word for it. Donate now. Everybody has a mom or a sister or a friend or a co-worker or a daughter that could possibly need our services at some point. So making women aware that we're here for them and what it is we actually do is key. Michelle's Place is the only one. This is it. There are no other resources. Go to www.facebook.com slash clnsfans. And now to your regularly scheduled programming. Legends are made in the NFL. And the quest for the Lombardi Trophy continues. Brady moving and looking and has time and then throws and that is caught for a touchdown. Intercepted by Wilford. Vince Wilford with a game changer. You're listening to Patriots Beat. Two minutes, second down and six. Brady, quick throw and complete. first down. Right here on CLNSRadio.com. Well, good afternoon, New England Patriots fans, and welcome to Patriots Beat on CLNS Radio. I am your host, Jeff Kane, at Boston Fat Guy on Twitter. Joining me, as always, is my good friend, Bob Snowden, at SnowdenBob, also on Twitter. You can follow CLNS at clnsradio.com. Of course, follow CLNS Patriots at CLNS Patriots. And you can, of course, like us on Facebook, www.clnsradio.com. Facebook.com slash CLNS fans. We have a tremendously good show for you today. Bob and I will be talking football as always. We have Mike Lojko from NewEnglandPatriotsDraft.com, NEPatriotsDraft.com. He's going to come on and talk a little bit about the New England Patriots, the NFL, and the draft. 347-215-7771 
is the call-in number to the studio if you should want to call in with your questions or your comments or just to talk New England Patriots football. We are a mere 11 days away from the start of NFL free agency, less than a week away from the legal tampering period, a three-day period where the uh, NFL teams can look and see what's happening. We have a lot of good things happening. So, again, 347-215-7771. And I now am going to bring in my guest host or my co-host or the greatest writer CLNS Radio has ever seen, and that, of course, is Bob Snowden. Bob, how's it going? Well, my head's a little big right at this moment after that introduction, and I, and I do have a question for you right away. Are you plugged into all the right holes? Uh, yes, yes. We we are good to go today. So, I, I am into the right holes, uh, not like last week where I was plugged into the the mic hole with the headphone and the headphone with the mic hole, and unfortunately made a complete A double S out of myself. Uh, but you know what? When when you're me, sometimes that happens. I am uh, computer illiterate. <laughs> well, but you know, well, I just I, I wanted to make sure that we were starting on a positive note. Now I'm going to ruin everybody's day that's listening in in the Northeast, because as I'm talking to you, I'm sitting out on my, and I'll call it a porch, because that's what we always called it till I moved to Florida. It's a lanai when you're lanai. down Lanai. But, yeah, I did, doesn't that sound fancy? I have all the windows open. It's 81 degrees, and, uh, and I'm ready to talk football. Well, 81 degrees. You know what I did yesterday? I sat out on, uh, on the ice all day yesterday with... A beer in my hand and uh, some good food with some great friends. We did some ice fishing. It was about 12 degrees, so quite cold, quite a different temperature from uh, sunny Florida. But you'd be very happy to know that in New Hampton, New Hampshire today, it is a balmy 28 degrees. Well, there you go. It's almost summertime. It is almost summertime. Uh, let's, let's talk about it. Your weather is kind of like, you know, Patriots training camp. My weather's like the AFC championship game, so... We got both sides of both spectrums here. <laughs> well, and I'm I'm living in Dolphin territory, and you're living in Patriots territory, so I'll swap any day of the week with during football season. Well, it's a great thing. Very plugged in, to use your word. Very plugged in through the right holes here to talk Patriots football. Bob, let's talk hey, about this. Hey, there's a lot of good things going on. Uh, last week, yeah. and you addressed something that's coming up. It was brand new last year. Uh and will have an impact again this year, and that's that legal tampering period. It's March 8th through the 11th, but that's actually the period that the Patriots decided last year they didn't want to lose Amendola, and they were going to lose Welker, so they signed Amendola. And that legal period, tampering period, is actually what led to them making that decision. Uh, so, I, you know, this is a key time in the NFL because all of the teams get a chance to talk to all of those free agents that are out there. Um, and I think it's going to be a key time on Aqib Tlaib because I think it's going to set his market. And the Patriots will determine whether they need to hit him with the franchise tag, uh, work out a contract, or what their next steps are going to be. So that period of time, which is only a little over a week away, in fact, just about a week away, uh, is going to be critical not only for the Patriots, but for all the free agents and getting a real feel for that free agent market. Oh, exactly. I mean, it's going to set it up really nice. You, you hit the nail right on the head, as I always like to say. 
Last year, the Patriots made an offer. They decided it came out this week that they needed to have an answer by Wes Welker or they were going to move on because they didn't want to lose Welker and or Amendola. They needed one or the other. Now, Amendola came in. He was a little uh, banged up. He looked great in the preseason. He looked great that first week, and then he was banged up. So they didn't get the production that they were hoping out of him. But I think it goes to show you they knew exactly where the bar was set, what other teams were thinking about Wes Welker, what other teams were thinking about Danny Amendola, and they made the move. And you're right, with other good cornerbacks on the market right now, like Antron Werner out of uh, the Tennessee Titans and uh, Brett Grimes from the Miami Dolphins, and, of course, uh, Dominic Rogers-Kamadi from the uh, Denver Broncos, It's there's a lot of really good football players, really good cornerbacks that are going to hit the market. Um, and I expect Keith Lee to be back here. I think he is a little more set up to come back to New England because of the mutual respect, because of the fact that he has those off-the-field issues and some other teams might not be willing to put up the dime and, the, and to bring him in. So when you look at it, you see the New England Patriots haven't had a year and a half of a keep to lead. They probably have a number on him, just like they have a number on Julian Edelman, just like they have a number on uh, Ryan Wendell. You know, I don't believe they have a number on Brandon Spikes yet because I don't think he's coming back. But I think they have a number where they, they want can. to play. I, I don't think no, they can. I don't think they can. No, I, 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 mean, I was, you know, when you and I were setting up the show and going over topics, and I was listing the Patriot free agents. I didn't even list him in there because I really no, felt he's a goner, and it doesn't matter. Yep, exactly. I mean, I think when he ended up on IR at the end of last year, that kind of sealed his fate. And then we saw what uh, Jamie Collins was able to do in that Indianapolis uh, Colts game, and the raw talent that he has. It excites me. And then they have other guys on this on this team, like Steve Guhannis, the uh, seventh-round pick out of Rutgers, who, who can be brought along. I'd like to see them bring back Dane Fletcher. Uh, I think he's a very solid core special teams player and can play pretty good coverage linebacker in a pinch. Well, and, and the other thing that this is going to do, because they've, they've made some other moves this week, as we both know, in, in freeing up quite a bit of cap space for a team that was tight to the cap space earlier in the week between the release of Steve Gregory and, and the maneuvering they've been doing, right now they're sitting, um, and I know you go to different sites and you see different numbers. Um, I basically go to Spot Track, who breaks it down player by player, so I feel a little more comfortable with their number. But, you know, they're pushing now $13 million available in cap space. And, and I'm certain they'll have more because I still have no doubt they're going to renegotiate or do something with Vince Wilfork, uh, you know, he's he's $11,600,000 towards that cap space. Yes. And I just don't see him or them not doing something. And, and you know, watching and listening to, to some shows this week, Wilfork really isn't in a very good bargaining position from his side because who else is going to pay him big bucks? Exactly. I mean, you, you don't know with a 32-year-old player coming off of uh, Achilles' injury what he's going to be. Uh, Doug Kye from Nesson had a, a great little tweet and article earlier this week about uh, the Patriots having an interesting decision with Vince Wilfork because he's making 20 times the uh, amount of uh, uh, Siva Salinga, but he's not 20 times the player. Uh, so it could be that the Patriots may actually do the unthinkable and cut Vince Wilfork, but then again with the New England Patriots, 
I go back to right before the 2003 season when they cut uh, Lawyer Malloy, and I, and I sit there and go, nothing will, other than a, a cut of Tom Brady, nothing will ever surprise me with this team. They are I'm no bones about it. What have you done for me lately? They set a value, and they move forward. And James Christensen, who, who is, is the owner of the uh, any Patriots draft site coming on, uh, Mike Loco, of course, is coming on, but he had a tweet earlier this week that said something along the lines of, and I'm paraphrasing here, if you want big, splashy free agents, move to Washington. If you want to compete every year, come to New England. And he's right there because they don't throw out the big, splashy names. They don't throw out millions of dollars at people. But year after year after year, they are in the playoffs and ready to go. So uh, I, I like that a lot. I like what they're doing. Would I like to see them win a Super Bowl? You know I do. But uh, fiscal responsibility is is an excellent thing, and they've done that. Well, and even when they've signed, quote, big-name free agents, they haven't thrown big bucks at them. And I'll use Randy Moss as an example. They got him for next to nothing. Uh, yeah, exactly. He was on the downside of his career. Everybody had pretty much figured uh, his career was over, and Oakland was just looking to dump him at that stage. So the Pats, although they have done pretty well in free agency, they have not gone after big-dollar players very often. And a few times they have, they've gotten burned. Uh, so, you know, I, I, it'll be interesting to see. But they at least they have the money now. And it looks exactly. like with maneuvering, they'll have even more to to make some moves. And, again, letting Gregory go, I think, was a, a big move in that direction not that it freed up a ton of money, but it did free up more money. But them saying that, you know, we're, we're ready to move forward, and with the cap space we have some, re, you know, room to move forward. The, the big thing now is do they have enough confidence in Harmon, um, their third-round pick from last year, to step into that role, or are they going to go out there and find someone either through the draft or through free agency that uh, they can step more into the role they're looking for. And, and as we said last week, that role, that safety role, is the hard-hitting, have-to-be-able-to-tackle role, uh, not the finesse safety role. Uh, and unfortunately, um, someone wrote this week, and they're absolutely right, they got everything out of Gregory that they expected, but he's just not a good tackler. And And... You know, they're parting ways from everything you see in friendly circumstances. Gregory tweeted that he understood, and, you know, he's ready to move on, and this was the best time in his career uh, playing in New England. But the Pats are ready to exactly. move on. And you mentioned Lawyer Malloy. I mean, the Pats do that. They make their decision, and they move on. Yep, and, it's, and more times than not, they make the decision as the correct decision. The player does not come back to bite them. Uh, you know, I mean, having gone on from Wes Welker, Wes Welker really didn't come back to bite them. And now he might next year, but they got the same production out of Julian Edelman. The team wouldn't have been any better in my eyes with Wes Welker on the, on the field. Might they have been a little better at the beginning of the season? Yes, but they still started off the season, you know, with uh, with a 5-0 and record or 4-1 and record. I was just going to say, they, despite the fact that, that they were learning – who was where when, they still won their first five games. So would Welker have made a difference in those first five games? They may have scored some more points, but they certainly couldn't have won any more games. They won all five games. And, and well, by did, that you know? stage of the season, 
by the time they lost their first game, um, you know, they were starting to get a feel for the players. And as you and I have mentioned many times, by the end of the year, shoot, they were third. I, I keep going back to this when people talk about the offense. They were third in the NFL in offense. So obviously that wasn't a huge loss. Uh, and speaking of Welker, real quickly, and I know our guest will probably be on any moment now, I kind of get a kick. We talked last year or last week about choke and hating players. It, it always amazes me when a player's playing for, for your team. You love him. You follow him. You think he's the greatest thing on, on you know, since bread. And then he goes to another team, and all of a sudden, boy, he drops too many passes. He missed that pass. <laughs> you know, they, they would have won the Super Bowl. Welk is a prime example of that. God, when he was playing for the Patriots, I don't know of many people that didn't love Wes Welker. Uh, as a Patriot, and many people that were, weren't really ticked off when Wes Welker ended up leaving the Patriots. But by the time we got halfway through the season, it was like, is this the same player everybody was talking about last year? Because everybody was pointing <laughs> out every flaw he had in his game and every game he ever played. And it's kind of funny yeah, exactly. to see that reversal occur. Yeah, well, that's why you, you root for the name on the front more than you root for the name on the back. You, you carry the laundry. But uh, you are right. Our guest looks to be on the line. Of course, Mike Wojko of NEPatriotsDraft.com. I'm going to bring him in right now. Hello, Mike. How are you doing today? Hey, guys. I'm doing, uh, I'm doing great. How about you guys? Well, it's a Sunday at 1 o'clock, and even though the Patriots are not playing, it's the off season. We're talking Patriots. Mike, why don't you uh, introduce yourself to the listeners? Yeah, um, for people that don't know, I, I'm the editor of Any Patriots Draft. I um, do a bunch of draft stuff. I put out my own draft books. Last year is actually the first time I put out my own draft book. I'm working on um, my own book again this year. I'm about, I'd say, a little less than halfway done with it. Um, you know, I'm on Twitter constantly. I'm engaged in everything that's going on with the Patriots. And try to aggregate my own sources and find, you know, find some information that's going on in the off season. And just an active, uh, engaged Patriots fan and analyst, I guess you could call it, and really Boston sports fan in general. Excellent, thanks. Well, Mike, this is this is Bob, and I, it's it's great to talk to you. I I know uh, you probably get really frustrated with the Patriots when you make a put your draft book together. Uh, have they ever actually? Follow the follow the rules of your draft book as far as the players they ultimately draft. You know, it's so tough to project for the Patriots. I really, really, when I'm doing it and I've been working on it this morning, I try to figure out which players you know fit their traditional system, how Bill Belichick drafted in the past. You know, most years it's it's really almost impossible to guess what he's thinking. Nobody had Jamie Collins going to them last year. I mean, he's somebody that I would have never guessed would have projected to them just because his measurables, his speed and athleticism, that's not something that Belichick really has done in the past, taking a college defensive end and moving him to a strong side linebacker. Um, you know, Logan Ryan last year was a little bit predictable, um, played the boundary corner like Devin McCourty did at Rutgers, had kind of the same measurable. So I think he was a little bit um, projectable to the Patriots. Um, Chandler Jones, a couple of years ago, I, I knew they had interest in it, you know, leading up to the draft. I didn't think they'd actually get him, but 
um, they were able to pull it off. So it, it's tough to really the first couple rounds are really tough to project who they're going to go after. Um, and I think they surprise a lot of people around the NFL with the players they pick each year because they just are so, you know, out of nowhere with some of their picks. But usually the good thing with the Patriots is the picks that they have at the top of the draft, the first round, they usually hit on a lot more times than not. So, you know, we can't complain about those early picks. When you look at oh, this year's yeah. draft, Mike, and I'm sorry, I didn't mean to cut in on you, Jeff. You know me. I, no, I'm, I, right I, I can't wait to hear what you have to say. Go right ahead. When, when you look at this year's draft, and I know at the Combine, the Patriots seem to be focusing on tight end a pretty good bit and talking mm-hmm. to tight ends. <laughs> With their letting uh, Gregory go, what direction do you think they'll go, or will they just go over after best player available? I think they always try to stick the best player available, but you do that, you know, with keeping in mind the needs of the team. The way they stack the draft board is they stack it from, you know, 1 to 200 or whatever players, however many players they rank, and they stack it laterally, too, um, by position of need. So ultimately you're trying to mesh the the best player on your board with the biggest need on the board, and that's tough to do a lot of times. I think the tight end position, it's – it's very important for them to come out of this draft with one of those top five tight ends. I think there's a big drop-off after the fifth tight end. Really, the fourth tight end, I think there's a little bit of a drop-off between Nicholas and C.J. Fedorowicz. I don't think Fedorowicz has as high of a ceiling as a receiver, and I think they need that receiving threat um, from their tight end. So I think it's imperative that they come out of the, one of the first two rounds with one of those tight ends. And I also think they need to upgrade their defensive line in the first couple rounds. I think that's the main area. If they don't attack that defensive line in free agency, which they very well might do, but as things stand today, I think those are the two positions where they they really need to come out of the first two rounds with some impact with. Oh, exactly, Mike. I've I've looked at it, and my, um, my ideal situation for the Patriots would actually be to take uh, a defensive tackle in the first round. I've looked at uh, Knicks from from Notre Dame, and then mm-hmm. in the second round, come out with a center, and then in the third round, come out with a tight end. My idea at center is the center from Florida State. Uh, I believe it's Brian Stoke or Stork. Um I like him a lot. I don't know how he projects. I've seen a lot of projections from him from anywhere from the second round to the sixth round. And mm-hmm. I like C.J. Fedorowicz uh, in the third round because I can believe they can get him there. The guy that I really would love to see them get at tight end um, is the kid out of Washington, uh, Safarian Jenkins. I like him a lot. But what are your thoughts on the center position and then the defensive tackle position? I I basically agree with most of the things you said. I think defensive tackle, if I had to bet today, I would say defensive tackle is a position that they go to first just because um, value-wise there is a bit of a drop-off after the first round with the defensive tackles. I think it's top-heavy. Um, you can get defensive tackles later in the draft, but I think both positions we're talking about so tackle and tight end, that there, there is a drop-off you know, into the second round. So I think those are the positions you need to go to early. I think Fedorowicz is, is the best bet of any of the tight ends to get into the third round. Um, just because he's not as dynamic and, um, I guess, as sexy as the other guys. Um, and Severian Jenkins, I, I definitely I like him a lot, too. Um, he's got more off-the-field concerns than the other four guys. 
Um, they found a broken foot or fractured foot at the combine, so he's going to be out basically the entire draft process. He might have a pro day um, in a week or two leading up to the draft, but it's way too early to tell yet. So I think that actually might help the Patriots. If they were able to do their evaluations and put their um, their scouting reports together on him, and they, they don't need to see him work out to form their opinion. Um, I do think that most likely drops uh, Safarian Jenkins into the second round, um, which I think is where we'll see the Patriots make a move to get one of their tight ends. And they might have to trade up a little bit into the second round just to make sure they get their guy. Um, but I think the draft is the way they're going to go to get the tight end position. I think there's more defensive linemen available in the free agent market where they could, if they can plug that need on the free agent market with one of these veteran defensive tackle end types, then that's great. That will free up, free them up in the beginning of the draft to do a lot of different things. And I think the pass rush is another area that really needs to uh, be addressed because I think that let them down at key points throughout the season. Yeah, exactly. My my whole concern with with the team is to get them strong in the trenches, both on the offensive and defensive line. That's why I believe that uh, defensive line and center is the two biggest uh, priorities for the New England Patriots. I do think having a pass-catching tight end and a tight end not not in the Aaron Hernandez mold, but more in the Rob Gronkowski mold mm-hmm. coming into this team uh, is important because in my I, I in my view. You look at a guy like Jace uh, Amaro out of uh, Texas Tech. He's more of that move tight end. I think the move tight end is a luxury in the NFL. It was a luxury that the Patriots had with Aaron Hernandez. And the biggest issue was when Rob Gronkowski got hurt is that they had no one that could really be that in-line blocking tight end who could also work the scene. What are your thoughts basically on what the Patriots would be thinking? Do you think they're thinking more of a move tight end or more of a, a Gronkowski type of clone? No, I think I, I agree with – basically, I wrote the same exact thing the other day. I think they're more likely to take a tight end that can play the Gronkowski role because, you know, Gronkowski it hasn't been on the field much the last couple of years. And, you know, I'm fully optimistic that he'll come out of this next surgery fine. And I actually almost think it's a blessing because he'll be able to fully heal his back, his arm, you know, while he's recovering from the knee injury. So he'll have basically a full year removed from the back and forearm surgeries. Um, he's still a young, young guy, but he has been injury-prone. He's shown that the last three years. So uh, they need somebody, and last year they didn't have anybody that could remotely fill that role. I think they're going to end up rebuilding their tight end position from top to bottom. I think Gronkowski's probably the only guy that's back at that position. So, I, I would, you know, we've seen them do this plenty of times in the past. I wouldn't be surprised if they double-dip at the tight end position. Um, I think they need a guy like Troy Nicholas because he can develop into that that stud blocker, and he's got the massive size like Gronkowski. And when you look at Jason Morrow, you know, the Aaron Hernandez comparison gets thrown around a lot, but Amaro's six foot five, two sixty five. He doesn't run nearly as good as Hernandez does, and he's not as um, quick out of the breaks and setting up routes. But he's a guy that if you work with and develop it into, he has the base and the, the fundamental strength to become. I mean, he put up the most reps of a tight end. So he has that strength to develop into a blocker. He just was never asked to do it at Texas Tech, turn from a spread offense. So, you know, I, Amaro gets grouped in with the, the, the flex tight ends and the joker tight ends, but I think he he offers some blocking upside and potential if you're willing to work with him for a few years. But I, I agree with what you said. They need a tight end that can fill in for Gronkowski when he's not on the field. And there's no, you know, there's no rule that says you can't have two players like Gronkowski on the field at the same time in two tight end sets. 
Gronkowski can flex out and split out. They started to do that more with him last year, which I actually like because he's such a mismatch out of the slot or when he's split out wide. Uh, and then have another inline guy, which I think they sorely lacked last year, and their receiving options from the inline spot were just non-existent. Well, and the only thing that I, I would disagree a little bit, and I, Mike, I agree with you that they could get two tight ends because that may be where they go. Where I split a little bit from Jeff is having that tight end like Hernandez is critical to Brady, who, let's face it, can't throw the long ball anymore. And having two, a two tight end set frees up someone for that short pass. And Hernandez was the perfect weapon. Pardon my pun there. But <laughs> I, I look at someone like him that can that basically is a glorified wide receiver as as helping Brady out much more than if Gronkowski is healthy having two Gronks out there. Because you're not going to find another Gronkowski, let's face it. No. So if Gronkowski is somewhat healthy, and like you, I'm hoping, praying, thinking he will be, but injuries happen. If he is healthy, I think having someone comparable to, and again, I don't think there's another Hernandez sitting on the horizon, uh, except possibly one of the tight ends, and, and having Brady have that ability to be able to not have to throw the long ball. Because even though you have hopefully Dobson coming back next year and available for the long threat, that's just not Brady's strength and never has been. Even, you know, Moss was the one exception that, that threw history and say, oh, yeah, Brady threw it long. But, but Brady's accuracy is not good on the long pass, and we saw that last year. Many times there'd be players wide open, and he just couldn't hit that long pass. So that's where I separate a little from you, Jeff, and agree with Mike that they may go after two tight ends because I don't think it's a luxury having that second tight end that, that's capable of playing the role. Um, I, I think it's, a, it's such an asset to the offense and to Brady that it is important to their future. Yeah, well, that's the great thing important. about football talk. Go ahead, Mike. <laughs> Sorry, I didn't mean to jump in there. I think a thing that got lost a little bit last year, too, is you're absolutely right. Brady is not an accurate passer, you know, 25, 30 yards down the field anymore. And it showed up even more last year because his margin forever was so limited with his small wide receivers. They didn't have any wide receiver that could consistently win down the field and make adjustments to the ball um, when Brady was in the vicinity. I think that's an area where they need to improve. Um, I think they need to get some more. We say this every year, but I think they're thinking about it this year, is getting at least one more bigger receiver that can make some adjustments down the field and take away some of Brady's margin forever. And with Hernandez and Gronkowski, he has a big margin forever because those guys have such good ball skills. Um, I think that they do need to add receivers that can make up for Tom Brady's mistakes because they are becoming more... He's becoming, I think, at least I've seen, he's become a little bit less accurate in the last year or two, especially down the field. And having those big tight ends that can adjust are just something that, you know, he's relied on prior. It's something he didn't have this past year, and it really showed up in key times. Well, and one of the things that kind of surprised me, Mike, was in preseason last year, Brady was spectacular. I, I, I don't know if you guys remember that well, and I'm older, so my short-term memory is just gone. But I do remember in preseason thinking 
man, these guys are all on the same page. And right up until the injury to Amendola, I thought everybody was on the same page. I mean, Marine had a great first game. They, based on that first game and the preseason, it looked like Brady was going to have a spectacular year. Um, and then just something happened where the timing, the confidence, something disappeared. So it will be interesting to see how they address that this year, whether it's through the draft, whether it's through signing of free agents. And, again, as we mentioned earlier, the cap space is a little bit bigger now. So they've got a little more flexibility on what they try and do. Are there any wide receivers that you would say fall into the taller, good hands, fast enough to, to go deep uh, and, and ability to adjust when on their route that will, will fall to where the Patriots are drafting, anywhere on the draft? Yeah, and I don't think wide receivers position that they're going to um, go after in the first round unless one of the top two or three guys like a Marquise Lee or a Mike Evans, which he won't fall to them. Unless someone like that falls to where they're picking, I think we're looking at a spot where they're picking in this second maybe, but more likely third and fourth round where they look to find these wide receivers. Just because they haven't picked they, in the Bill Belichick era, they haven't picked a wide receiver in the first round. They're much more likely to pick tight ends in the first two rounds than um, a receiver. So I think, you know, looking at the draft board and wide receivers that might interest them, people might not like to hear it, but, you know, the kid from Rutgers, Brandon Coleman, six foot six, two hundred twenty-five pounds. He ran a four-five-six at six foot six, two twenty-five. Um, caught the ball well. He put up with four offensive coordinators in four years at Rutgers. Played through some horrendous quarterback play. A team captain. He's already graduated. So the writing's on the wall with that one. And I know people. Wait, 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 wait a minute. Do you think Belichick would ever stoop to drafting someone from Rutgers? <laughs> and, people, and people will freak out about it, but in his case, he is one of the top, you know, 15 wide receivers in this draft. Who is physically is probably one of the most gifted, two or three physically gifted receivers in this draft. Um, and he fits what they look for. The Patriots are never into this mold of picking a sexy wide receiver. They did it one time in their history with Chad Jackson, and we know how that worked out. Um, but I, I yep. also think that they need one veteran wide receiver on the free. They need to go out and sign one veteran wide receiver that can give them reliable snaps, you know, 600, 700 reliable snaps each year and take some of the onus off the young kids. I think that was lacking last year. I think Edelman's produ- production was largely because he was the only one with experience in the system. And if that was Welker, he would have put up those numbers. If that was you know, another receiver that had played in the system for five years would have put up similar numbers. I think it was a product of the environment last year, and I think they need another receiver, even if they re-signed Julian Edelman, um, to complement Brady with a veteran presence. One, one area we haven't spent a lot of time, and I'm interested to get your views on that, is safety. Are there any safeties out there on the board that you look at that are ready to step in? The past record in drafting safeties is terrible. Um, I they, have they, yeah, Clayton Dix is the top guy for sure on, on my board. I, I think he's an all-around safety. He can play free safety, strong safety. Um, he does kind of fit with the Patriots too because their their Patriot uh, their safeties are so interchangeable. They don't really label one free or strong. They rotate him so much. Clayton Dix has the size, speed, um, instincts. He can cover from a hash to the sideline. He can drop down in the box play. 
um, the run game. He can move out over the slot and play man-to-man, plays in all coverages. I love Clinton Dix. It's, you know, there's a possibility he slips into the range where they pick him. You never know his safeties because every team values them differently. Every team evaluates them in a different way. And really, they're the toughest position to evaluate, even if you have the coach's film. Because unless you know exactly what's being asked from them in a specific play, you can't really grade them in the right um, fashion. So he's somebody that I think, you know, he's projected right now to go in the top 20 or so. I could see him falling down, you know, maybe in the 25, 26 mix. But if you look at the draft order right now, there's a ton of teams in the 16 or 20 area, the Cowboys, the Steelers, that need safeties badly. And with him being the top one, him and Calvin Pryor from Louisville, who's more of a strong safety, uh, physical in the box guy, it might be tough to get their hands on Clinton Dix, but if he's, you know, around two or three picks ahead of them, that, I could see that being a guy that they make a move for if they haven't signed a veteran safety on the free agent market. Well, I tell you, now, each time every year, I fall in love with, with a guy in the draft. And sometimes I hit, and sometimes I don't. Well, the guys I've fallen in love with before have been Marcus Wilkinson, who was taken by the uh, Jets, mm-hmm. and uh, before that, the I think it was the year after that, I, I, I was in love with A.J. Jenkins out of Illinois, who, who of course, went to the uh, San Francisco 49ers and now plays for the Kansas City Chiefs and never come out. And last year was Kiko Alonso. The guy that I love this year, and I don't know why I love him, I just think he would fit perfectly with the New England Patriots, is J.C. Copeland, the running back out of LSU, the fullback, the big guy, six foot two, two seventy. What are your thoughts on him? I know he's a late round draft pick, but give me some uh, thoughts on that. Yeah, Copeland's actually an interesting guy. He's got an interesting backstory. Um, I think he lives with his coach. I know that he moved in with his coach, and his coach raised him. Kind of a Michael Orish type story, actually. Um, Copeland's probably you know one of the two or three best fullbacks in the draft. He catches the ball fairly well. He's, a goal, he's used on the goal line a ton for LSU. Um, I know he had one big fumble on the goal line this past year. I, you know, Copeland's an interesting person, but I just can't envision the Patriots using a draft pick on a fullback ever, um, especially in this day and age. We saw, you know, James Devlin actually developed pretty well. I wasn't a fan of using a roster spot on a fullback at the beginning of the year, but you could, you could really argue that Devlin was one of the more um, – he developed as much as anybody over the course of the season. I saw a lot of improvements from beginning to end. Um, Copeland, you know, if he's an undrafted guy, maybe they make a move for him. But I just think that they have too many needs on this team. And fullbacks are, you know, easy enough to find that they use a draft pick on him. But I think Copeland's one of the two or three best fullbacks. Um, but, you know, he doesn't offer as much versatility as maybe they'd look for and if, if they're trying to add another fullback to the roster. Mike, one of the yep. things too you learn when you talk to to Jeff is he thinks the running game is coming back, and that the fullback is a key component. So at some point, the Patriots are going to run more than they pass regularly, and Jeff's draft is going to be loaded with running backs <laughs> and blocking linemen, so they get that yep. big hole and run. Uh, he, he he is reverting back to his his memory of. Lombardi and the Green Bay Packers and three yards in the cloud of dust. So I kid him about that I all just, the time. He is I just he definitely the fact, favors the run. I just look at the the fact that the Patriots were twelve and zero. I'm sorry, they were twelve and zero last year. Ten and zero when they ran the ball thirty thirty <laughs> or more times. I think the running game 
while it is a passing league, I think the running game is just as important as the passing league. So, yes, this is why I like a guy like J.C. Copeland. It's like it's why I love to see them run the ball. It To me, it, it takes pressure off of Tom Brady, and that was the biggest thing. When Brady was, you know, coming out of Michigan as a six-round draft pick and wasn't the Tom Brady that we know and love today, they did a lot of things with him. They did a lot of running and play action to set up uh, the run and set up the pass, and they had short passing game. And Brady was never, we talked about earlier today, he's never been a great down-the-field passer. It wasn't until they brought Randy Moss, who's arguably one of the top mm-hmm. two or three wide receivers of all time, where the deep ball really developed for him. Before that, I mean, he hit one a, a year maybe to Bethel Johnson. Uh, but they never had that deep threat, and Brady was never after. That's not one of his strengths. It's never but, been one of his strengths. But yes, so to me, yes. you, <laughs> whoa, hang on, whoa. Do you really think the Patriots need another running back? I think they need as many as they could possibly get. <laughs> I think there's only so many that will make the roster. And if they sign Blunt, which I think they will, and all indications are they've got probably the best shot to do it, there's just no space well, on that know, team for another running back. You know who I want J.C. Copeland to do. I want Copeland to come in here, and I want Brandon Bolden to say, see you later, and go bag groceries somewhere. But yeah. <laughs> I have heard that running there are going to be changes at the running back spot this year. You see Ridley and Vereen are free agents to be at the end of this year. I think exactly. you know Fridley's in a position where he has to prove that he can hold on to the ball and be that guy. I, I think it's very likely that they draft a running back at some point in the draft. It's a very, very deep draft at running back. They're going to be able to get great value into the fifth, sixth round with running backs that last year probably would have gone you know, on the second day, I think that there's a great chance they take a running back. I, Brandon Bolden, I think he's very unlikely to be on the roster next year. I think the biggest loss Thank that God. he suffered last year, it wasn't Wes Welker. It was the Danny Woodhead. They lost that role, and they were unable to replace mm-hmm. it. When Brain yep. was out, they had nobody to catch passes on the backfield. And you guys are right. The, the Brady is at his best when he's able to set up the passing game off the run and they, I think they've gone away from the screen game way too much in the past. You know, oh, Brady is so good at more. screening, and it's something that's been lacking, and I think something they need to get back to in Brady's, you know, final years. Well, and last yes, year when Vereen was hurt, they didn't have a back they felt comfortable could catch that pass out of the backfield. They've tried it. Bolden dropped as many as he caught, I think. And and actually, Vereen had some big drops, if you remember. Yeah, but he did. I, I guess I haven't given up on Ridley yet. I, I look at his statistics up to this point of his career, and I'm not saying he's that good. But his fumbles, it's when they come, not the number that come. Because he's got less fumbles at this stage of his career than, than a lot of greats, including Adrian Peterson. Uh, it's just when they come, not, not that he fumbles you know, nine million times, and he does fumble more than I like. But I think that can be overcome. I really do. And I think Ridley has a skill when he can hold on to the ball, and I know that's not been proved out yet. When he can hold on to the ball, I think he has the potential to be a great running back, not just a good running back. Uh, and I, I'm not ready to give up on him yet. No, and I don't think you should be. I think this is a huge year for him, and he has to prove that he can be the lead guy. Because I think the tandem they built with Ridley and Vereen, it can be a successful tandem, but I also think that they're missing – 
another pass catcher out of the backfield and somebody that they can go to more often in spread sets. Mike, final question for me, and, and we'll get away from the New England Patriots and go to the NFL draft as a whole. Uh, there's a guy out there, of course, Johnny Manziel, Johnny Football, who is a lightning rod. You either love him or you hate him. He reminds me of um, all the controversy that was around Tim Tebow when Tebow was coming out, I'll bet I believe Manziel is a much better polished quarterback with a better uh, ability to throw the ball. I personally think that Manziel washes out in the NFL. I don't think he has the the maturity right now. What are your thoughts on Johnny Manziel? You know, I came into the season on Manziel very critical. Um, I actually, you know, wasn't too high on him coming into the season. And really – the Alabama game early in the year really changed my focus on him and made me evaluate him a little bit closer. Um, I don't know what it is. I think he just has something about him. I saw a lot of improvement this year with him, especially in his lower body mechanics. His footwork, where he's been working with George Whitfield, um, the, the quarterback guru. He has really improved his footwork and lower half mechanics. Um, he anticipates and eludes the pass or just any quarterback that I've ever evaluated. I just think he has this sense about him in a pocket where he knows what's going to happen around him, and he figures out a way to beat it. Um, the maturity question, it's a legitimate question. It definitely is. Um, but I've been saying this, too. I said this at the Senior Bowl when I did a couple of interviews, and I think it's still pertinent. I think the NFL is changing at the quarterback position. I think the days of the six foot five Drew Bledsoe pocket passers, the Dan Marino that just stand in the pocket and throw it 40 times a game, I think that game is slowly or, or quickly slipping away, and I think we're going to see more and more of these mobile quarterbacks, the guys that can run and throw. And if you look at the guys coming out next year, the Mariota, the James Winston, it's the same thing, guys that can create with their feet and have an NFL throwing arm. I think Manziel, he doesn't have a great arm, but I think it's good enough. I think he can make all the NFL throws. Um, I think in the right system that highlights his strengths and not his weaknesses early on, um, get him on the move. Um, but with Mantell, it's, and when you need the play, he can make the play happen, and that's a rare trait. That's something that Tom Brady had at Michigan. I remember, you know, I was probably, you know, 11 years old watching him play um, Alabama in the Orange Bowl, I believe it was, and bringing them back in the fourth quarter. He, when the, Every time they needed a big play, he was able to make it. And Mantell this past year in the bowl game, and his Duke, um, he just kept coming at them and coming at them and making big play after big play. I think he has this innate ability to win games, and that's something that you can't measure. It's something that the whole team's been able to measure at this point. So I came in this season very critical of him and not a big fan, but I've grown into over the season one of his probably bigger supporters, and now I find myself actually, you know, moving him up my draft board pretty high and rooting for him because I just think there's something about him. But I wouldn't want to be the general manager that passes on him and have to play him two times a year in that division. What's one more player I want to bring up real yeah, quickly? Sure. Because you've got kind of mixed emotions when you read things. How about Clowney? Is he as good as everybody thinks he is? Is he lazy? Is he a hustler that just playing in that system at South Carolina? You, I mean, I know everybody says athletically he's spectacular. Is he going to be the number one draft pick? I can't envision a team passing on him. I mean, it might happen. I would never pass on Clowney, number one. I don't care. Unless it was like an Andrew Luck coming out. Clowney is a special, special player. He is legitimately one of the only players that I've ever seen that he could have made the transition from high school to the NFL. His God-given talent is as good as any player that's come out of the draft in the last 15 years. 
Um, I think a big thing with him is he hasn't been challenged physically or mentally at this point. You know, people give him credit for all the physical tools that he has, but he's a very smart and instinctive player, too. He disrupts run, the run game. He's one of the only players that the, the opposing team, they spend hours each week scheming directly for him. They dedicate blockers on the backside normally when they wouldn't. He's going to eat up blockers when they're running away from him. He's going to make the linebackers a lot better just because he's going to eat so many double teams and triple teams. Type of player where the quarterback's always going to have his eye on him. And just with him getting pressure on the clock, he's going to disrupt passing plays. I think he is so physically gifted. The sky's the absolute limit with him. And we've seen this happen, you know, over the last couple of years, too. And kids that go back to school or they can't enter the draft, that final year where they're in school, they're just picked apart constantly. Everything they do is hyper-analyzed and over-analyzed and um, picked to death. And I think that's happened with Clowney. I think mentally after his sophomore year, which is a dominant year, and he was a Heisman, you know, finished in the top ten of the Heisman, and everybody thought he would win the Heisman coming into his junior year. I just think mentally he was checked out. He had one eye on the NFL. Um, any injury that he suffered he knew would cost him millions and millions of dollars. So, you know, it's, it's, it was a tough situation for him. He's been hyped as the, the next coming since he was a junior in high school. Um, and he's my top player. He's been my top player on the board since he stepped foot on campus in South Carolina and, uh, and had his eyes on the 2014 draft. You know, if you're the Houston Texans picking number one, you know, be careful what you wish for if you pass on him because you have teams right behind you. Um, the Jacksonville Jaguars at three. You know, if I'm the Rams at two, I'm hoping Houston passes on him because can you imagine pairing Jujavion Clowney up with Robert Quinn? Oh, man. Uh, Chris Long, you know, you can never have too many pass rushers. So similar to with Manziel, you don't want to be the guy that passes on Jadavion Clowney and have him turn into a Bruce Smith-type pass rusher or Reggie White-type rusher. Well, and when no, you talk exactly. about Houston, they were probably, with Detroit, one of the two most disappointing teams last year because of the talent they had. Quarterback seems to be an issue with them, although, Jeff, you've made the point that I think it was you when we talked earlier that that, you know, the quarterback at the beginning of the year was not ex- – last year was not a problem. And if they if they do draft Clowney, is there a quarterback that they still will have an opportunity to get, do you think, Mike, that, that will help fill that role? Because then all of a sudden they drop down, obviously. I don't think they've got a second first-round pick. But I no, don't have quarterbacks this year for them to still get a quarterback. Yeah, and I think they could definitely go that route. I think, you know, we talked about, just talked about St. Louis. The same thing he said of pairing Kalani with J.J. Watt. That, you can't get any better than that. Your, your defensive line, at least Scary. on the outside, would be just, yeah. it would dominate games. And Kalani can move all over. He can play outside linebacker if needed. He can move inside the defensive tackle if needed. He gives you so much versatility. So to answer your question, yeah, Houston could definitely pick Kalani and move back up into the bottom of the first round and get a guy like Derek Carr who a lot of teams like. Um, I think I don't think he'll be a star, but I think he'll be serviceable. And, you know, everybody is right now projecting Blake Bortles as the guy to, to Houston. Uh, I'm just not sold on Blake Bortles right now as an immediate impact starter in the NFL. I think, you know, we just talked about Manziel's flaws. I think Bortles has way worse footwork and way more mechanical flaws in his lower body than Manziel. I don't think he creates or anticipates plays nearly as much as running football. So if I was in Houston, Texas, the pick for me would come down to three people. It would come down to Clowney, Manziel, or um, Bridgewater. And I could not see passing on Jadavion Clowney. So you pretty much 
if he has the talent and that's really the only question with him, you know you're getting a player that could potentially be a pro bowler as a rookie. Um, Troy Valley, Troy Fordleson has a lot of development to do, and he has a lot of question marks at least in my mind. So they get a tough decision to make. Um, when it's all said and done, you know, right now it's too early to tell. I wouldn't be surprised if they just if Connie interviews lost, they're willing to pass up the quarterback and take the, the best player in the draft because I don't think there's much question on who that best player is. Mike, I'm going to throw it at you, but you've answered everything I had to ask, and we're great. I appreciate it. I really enjoyed this. All right, guys. Mike, just wanted to thank you very much for coming on Patriots Beat, and uh, we hope to bring you on again as the draft gets closer. Uh, before we let you go, just uh, tell everyone where they can find you again. Yeah, my Twitter handle is at uh, NEPD underscore Loico. Um, you can find you know all my mock drafts and um, latest Patriot articles. I'll have some free agent stuff coming up um, in the next couple of days at anypatriotsdraft.com. Any um, and I'm, I'm really active on Twitter. If you really just type in Loiko, L-O-Y-K-O, um, it'll come up and you can just follow me on Twitter um, or find my work on Patriots Draft. Great. Mike, thanks a lot for your time. All right, guys. I appreciate it. Nice joining you. Appreciate it, boy. Well, that was Mike Loiko from NEPatriotsDraft.com, and he, of course, was brought to you by the CLMS Radio YouTube tra- channel. CLMS Radio is the best of written, spoken, and watched Boston sports coverage. For the best audiovisual, turn to CLMS Radio's YouTube channel, www.youtube.com slash CLMS Radio. High-definition locker room interviews, full-length locker room interviews, the Garden Report HD post-game show shot right on the parquet floor at the T-Day Garden. What a great interview there with Mike Licko of Any Patriots well, Draft. And what was your, uh, your takeaway? I mean, he was really informative on a lot of areas. and I think we could have spent another half hour easily with him, but I know the clock was ticking. Uh, great, great question. The clock is ticking, and we have a lot of t- topics, which you and I talk during the week. We have so many topics to talk about. So I will actually let – Throw it over to you, and, and what is your most important thing you'd like to talk about right now, Bob? Well, I, again, I, we've, we hit a few of them when we started, um, and, and we, we talked about a good bit, fortunately, in that period of time. But who's expendable? I guess that's, that's the area I would look at and say, you know, the, caps, the cap space went up. The Pats have some cap space, uh, but they still have some players that eat up cap space that are kind of expendable. And Dan Conley is the one that jumps out at me a little bit. We talked about Vince Wilfork. But is is Conley expendable? Oh, I think Conley's very well expendable. I mean, it goes back to everything that I've said, that uh, I believe the center and the the right guard were uh, a downfall for the New England Patriots this year. And Conley making just under $4.1 million against the cap. I say uh, say cut him. I say cut him. Get your money back and... Get someone in uh, in free agency that can uh, step up and be a little better, or you can move a guy like Marcus Cannon from right tackle into right guard, as long as Sebastian Ballmer uh, is healthy. And of course, we saw what Josh Klein was able to do last year uh, when uh, Nate uh, Soldier was hurt and Lloyd Mankins had to move out to left tackle. We saw Josh Klein come in and play well. So there are some guys behind him that I think can play very well. What do you well, think? Well, and the others that. I had listed when we talked earlier that I, I think all, all expendable, and that's Sapawoga, who uh, you know oh, came yes. in during the year and really never quite lived up to what we all hoped he would do. Tommy Kelly, is he coming back from an injury? Can he 
you know, Phil Lahole, Adrian Wilson, uh, Tavon Wilson. Those are all players that, that are still showing up, taking up cap space. Uh, but hypothetically, if, if those five players uh, were not kept on the roster, that frees up about, about another $13 million. And one other thing, and I know we're almost completely out of time, uh, when we talked about free agents, I'm hearing more and more that Jared Allen may be a potential free agent for the Patriots. What do you think about that? Oh, I think it's excellent. I mean, Brandon Daly uh, is now the Patriots' defensive line coach. Of course, he's he's spent time with Jared Allen. He spent time with even Everson Griffin, another guy I could think that could come in here for the Patriots. And it's not too often where, you know, when you, you sign a free agent, you don't know exactly how he's going to fit. You don't know how the player ticks. Well, now with Daly, they have an, uh, an idea of what these players can do, what they practice like, what they're like inside that uh, – Inside that locker room, Jared Allen is a very uh, intriguing idea. If he wanted to come here on a on a on a decent contract, you know, maybe a one year, two year contract, and be able to basically rotate with uh, with Chandler Jones and Rob Nikovich, each who played over ninety five percent of the snaps last year, it keeps them healthy and keeps the pressure going up against the the uh, opposing quarterback. We saw in the uh, AFC Championship game and then again in the Super Bowl that the team that could get some pressure on the quarterback was the team that ultimately came out and won. Uh, Jared Allen is very intriguing to me. I would really love to see him in a New England Patriots uniform. It all depends on that price. And he's number one on the list. As I looked at free agents, it really kind of jumped out of me as filling one of the roles when we talked earlier uh, about how critical that role is. And, you know, to leave a team – like Minnesota, that really is not going to be a challenger for for a few more years at least. Uh, to come to a team that perennially is in the fight, I would think that would be extremely tempting for him. And the money is always important to a player, but kind of the money becomes secondary. At least I hope so. Exactly. Now, one of the topics we've talked about, and we have about two more minutes before the uh, the closing music will start, but. Uh, one of the things we've really talked about and have brought up is Danny Amendola. There's been uh, reports out there that he's been on the trading block, that they can cut him, this and that and the other thing. Um, I personally think Danny Amendola is viewed as a little brittle around the NFL, and we can understand why. But I think you came out and said it, that how great Tom Brady looked when Amendola was healthy in the preseason. I think you give him next year, and you let a guy like Julian Edelman walk, and you go from there. What What do you think? What do you think, Bill? I, I, oh, I agree 100%. And my concern is you let him go, there's another wide receiver that Brady has confidence in when he's healthy that you're letting go. And do we start next year similar to this year where he's got a whole new round of bodies? We were talking about them drafting a wide receiver or signing another wide receiver. I don't want to go through that transition period at wide receiver. I say give Amandola another shot. I don't buy into the rumors. I could be 100% wrong, but I, I just don't buy into the rumors. They're ready to give up already. Yeah, exactly. And final thing that I want to talk about, a report came out the other day on ProFootballTalk.com about the possibility of uh, of Daryl Revis being traded. Uh, it, he's got no guaranteed money. It's it's $16 million a year, $13 million, $13 million on, the, uh, on the cap, plus $1.5 million uh, roster bonus and $1.5 million uh, bonus there. 
What do you think the Patriots would have to give up to bring in Dal Rebus? I think it's a long shot, but what do you think it would take? Well, again, I, I, I agree. Rebus Island was something we all used to kid about when he was back with the Jets, and he was, at that time, um, if not the best, one of the best in the game. Would I like to see them get him? Yes. I'm just not sure what kind of money he'll demand. I, I don't know. Now they've got some room. Uh, but, but I'm just not sure. And, and I'm not sure his ego would let him step into what would basically almost be a secondary role if you've got to leave back there with a team. Exactly. Well, this has been Patriots Beat. For Bob Snowden, I'm Jeff Kane. CLS Radio is a free broadcast. The lifeblood of our organization is rating and reviews subscriptions. So please go to iTunes.com and search CLNS Radio and join every single one of our great podcasts. Thanks a lot, and we'll see you next week. See you later, guys. Your first choice for Internet Sports Talk Radio, CLNS Radio.